Yeah, but Mach 2 was the magic number. Like 60 homers, like batting 400, like four-minute mile, if they ever break that. Press likes a nice round number. After that, they don't care. You need some more speed records in this day and age. You need coverage. Coverage? Oh, you mean them little root weevils that crawl around popping off cameras in your face? Those root weevils write history. Yeah, well, let them write the damn history and let the pilots fly the airplane. everyone, this is Mike Haber. And I'm Mike Mezgleski, and welcome to the 29th episode of the Jim Church School of Digital Underwater Photography Podcasts. We wanted to take a moment before we got started to thank all of you who emailed us with your kind comments regarding our first ever Jim Church School of Digital Underwater Photography commercial. If you haven't seen it yet, go to our homepage, www.jimchurchphoto.com, and take a look. Also, for you folks who really need to plan ahead, we've updated our trip schedule on the website to list everything through 2009, including our advanced class schedule. Several weeks ago, during Podcast 26, while discussing digital camera LCDs, we touched on the subject of histograms, and we promised to get back to that topic. Well, today's episode will be dedicated to histograms and their value to digital underwater photographers. A histogram is a graphic representation of the tonal values of an image based on your camera's dynamic range. Every digital camera has its own specific dynamic range or the range from shadow to highlight within which a digital sensor can hold detail. Outside the dynamic range to the left, or the shadow end, the sensor produces nothing but black. Outside the dynamic range to the right, or the highlight end, it produces white. The histogram illustrates where your image fits within the camera's dynamic range. Let's take a minute to put the concept of dynamic range into perspective. Imagine that we're standing in a field. Directly in front of us is a small forest, and right behind the forest is a snow-covered hillside. Compared to the snowy hillside, the forest can be described as the shadow portion of the scene. However, the shadows don't appear to us as a singular dark blob. When we look at the forest, we're able to distinguish details within this portion of the scene. We can visually separate various elements, such as the trees, from one another. Simultaneously, we can distinguish a great deal of detail on the snow-covered hillside. This portion of the scene doesn't appear to us as one single white mass. Here, we can easily separate the hillside's particular elements, such as variations in the snowdrifts. Our ability to discern detail at the two ends of such a broad tonal span represents our visual dynamic range. We can place a numerical value on the dynamic range in the form of f-stops. 
The human eye is said to be capable of distinguishing detail over a range of between 9 and 10 f-stops. By comparison, most digital cameras have approximately a 5-stop dynamic range, which is similar to what we used to achieve when we used slide film. Print film has a wider dynamic range of between 6 and 7 stops. Okay, now that we understand dynamic range, let's get back to how the histogram graphically illustrates it and how we utilize it. The horizontal or bottom portion of the graph represents the number of distinct brightness levels between pure black and pure white that our camera can record. An image recorded in 8-bit mode has 256 distinct brightness levels. On the left side of the graph is zero, or black, and on the right side is 255, or white. The vertical portion of the graph represents how much of an image is located at a given brightness level. How we use a histogram depends on when we use it. There are two times when histograms are most commonly used. The first is in camera while we're shooting, and the second is during post-processing as part of image editing. During our previous podcast, we stated that the in-camera histogram could be an invaluable tool to countless digital photographers. However, most of those folks shoot in a completely different environment than underwater photographers, and they have altogether different subjects. For the most part, underwater images will not produce what would be described as a bell-shaped histogram. Because our backgrounds are usually darker, and our strobe-lighted subjects don't typically comprise a major portion of the frame, our underwater histogram is going to usually bunch up more in the shadow or left side of the graph. We've illustrated the Podcast 29 page of our website, www.jimchurchphoto.com, with a number of what we call typical underwater images. Next to each image is a histogram of that image, as interpreted by Adobe Photoshop. Here, you'll observe that most of the histograms are skewed to the left or shadow side of the graph. The two exceptions are the final two images. These are photos of a stingray in the sand and a stingray's underside, which are distinctly bright subjects to begin with. Photographers who use histograms during shooting are mostly looking for clipping. Clipping occurs when a highlight or shadow portion of an image is pushed so far to the end of the graph that no detail can exist at either of these extreme ends. Since underwater images normally tend to be biased towards the shadow side of the graph, we should pay more attention to the right or highlight side to make certain that no unwanted clipping is occurring. We say unwanted because if a subject or part of the subject is pure white and you want it to appear that way on your image, well, the histogram will show some clipping. In that case, it's expected and normal. In-camera histograms are neither good nor bad. They are simply reflective of the scene you've just captured and are another tool to use in order to control exposures. Observing a histogram can't tell you if an image is good or bad, but it will assist you in judging your exposure boundaries. Our only real objection to using the in-camera histogram underwater is the additional time it takes to evaluate it. Since our dive time is limited, we find that it's more efficient to evaluate the image rather than the histogram. The post-processing histogram is a very important tool for us to use during many of the operations related to image editing. In Adobe Photoshop, the histogram is available to us under the Window pull-down menu. 
Once opened, the histogram is used to observe the results of any image exposure adjustment actions. Additionally, a separate histogram will open during the levels image adjustment. In this instance, numeric input and output level values can be applied to affect a change in the histogram, or you can drag the handles along the horizontal axis of the graph to make those same changes. When processing an RGB image, you can change the three channels simultaneously or individually. The most common action within the Levels command is to narrow the highlight or shadow extremes. At times, there are no pixels in the extreme ends of the graph, yet the graph continues beyond where the pixels stop, out to that full 256 levels limit. This kind of histogram will result in a lower contrast and a flat, dull-looking image. Adjusting the histogram inward will remedy the situation. For example, the histogram on one of your images displays no pixels between the 0 and 15 level on the shadow side and no pixels between the 240 and 255 level on the highlight side. By moving the shadow handle from 0 to 15 and the highlight handle from 255 to 240, we'll increase our contrast and improve our image without losing any detail because no image information resides in those areas to begin with. Our point here is to demonstrate the value of the histogram during post-processing, not to give a Photoshop lesson. Photoshop lessons will come a little later. All we really want to achieve this week is to have you better understand what a histogram is and under what circumstances it can be useful to you. As we get deeper into post-processing topics, the benefits of utilizing the histogram will become more apparent. Next week's topic will arise from whatever adventures await the Jim Church School in the Galapagos Islands. Mike is heading out to teach a digital class aboard the Galapagos Aggressor. When he returns, you'll be the first to hear the details. As we say every single week, we enjoy hearing from you, so please continue to send us your ideas for future podcasts. You can do this by emailing us at podcast at jimchurchphoto.com. Remember that you can get to the archive of all of our previous episodes on our website by clicking on the podcast tab at the top of the homepage, www.jimchurchphoto.com. So until next week, this is Mike Mesgleski and Mike Haber wishing you safe diving and great photos. We'll see you on the next podcast. I tell you, we got two categories of pilots around here. We got your prime pilots that get all the hot planes, and we got your pud knockers who dream about getting the hot planes. Now, what are you two pud knockers gonna have, huh? Scotch.